Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it is episode 43 for the love of the game. Let's get it rolling. Welcome back. It is your boy, ATH, back on the East Coast, back in the studio. As my man X just said uh, earlier, we right here. We're back in New York. Feels good to be back as much as I love the West Coast vibe, as much as I love L.A. Something about being back in New York feels good. Uh, You know what else feels good? The fact that the Los Angeles Lakers are an absolute train wreck. You know who said it best? Hit it, Stephen A. Somebody has to say it. Wait, hold on one second. What a second. Stephen A., what did you say again? Let's run that back. The Lakers stink. Somebody has to say it. Amen to that. And to top it all off, the cherry on top of the poop Sunday that is the Los Angeles Lakers is that LeBron James is acting like a complete asshole, both on the court and off the court. Well, let's let this simmer for a little bit. Because uh, we're going to talk on about this a little bit later. So let's, let, let's hold this one a little. So what else has happened since the West Coast episode? Well, spring training baseball has begun. And finally, finally, the two biggest free agents have signed. Manny Machado chose a 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. And Bryce Harper chose the Phillies to the tune of 13 years. What? That's right, 13 years, $330 million with no opt-out clause. So Machado chooses to take the bag and live in San Diego, stress-free. He'll basically be in obscurity. So good for him for making the wise decision to live in San Diego, making three, I should say, $30 million a year. Really not a bad life. Now, will he play in any big and important competitive games in the near future? Probably not. That is until uh, we have a Giancarlo Stanton situation and his contract is moved uh, and the Padres eat about 10% of it to get off the money. Uh, But good for Manny Machado for securing that bag and uh, picking a great life to live in San Diego, which is an absolutely beautiful place. As far as for Harper, 13 years without an opt-out, that is crazy on both sides. 
the end of that contract is going to be bad, but Bryce Harper should absolutely mash in the, in Citizens Bank ballpark. I mean, it's an absolute sandbox. He's 26, and the Phillies will have seven, eight, maybe nine years of prime Bryce Harper. So kudos to the Phillies for going for it. But this contract gives Bryce a no-trade clause, too. So good for Bryce, but no opt-out is exceedingly surprising. Well, now that those two dominoes have fallen, uh, spring training has officially started and baseball season's really around the corner. Uh, in other, other news, NFL Combine is in full effect. To be honest, I'm not a huge follower of all the things going on at the Combine, but there's little scuttlebutt about the Giants quarterback situation, especially since Kyler Murray, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner, Looks like he's probably going to go number one overall to Arizona, leaving last year's first-round pick Josh Rosen expendable and available. And if that happens, the Giants should really pounce and take a chance on Rosen, someone that it was reported they liked last year before the draft. If it takes, say, a second-round pick and a late-round pick to get Rosen, that should be in play for the Giants, and then they can use their number six pick to take one of the defensive monsters uh, that is projected to be in this draft. A lot of really good defensive players uh, should be coming off the board early on from what I've heard. Now, there was a mention that Russell Wilson forcing a trade will be a possibility for the Giants. Colin Coward mentioned it a couple of days ago on his stuff, I should say on his show, and he for sure is plugged in, especially in the Seattle area. Obviously, that would be the ideal scenario given what the trade would look like considering I truly believe that Russell Wilson is a top three or four quarterback in this league. Now, if that doesn't happen, the Rosen scenario will be my second favorite option for the Giants. Now, if they're going to draft a quarterback at six, well, I would rather have Kyler Murray than Dwayne Haskins if I could have both. But we'll see how the draft plays out in the coming weeks, and we'll see what the Giants do to address their QB situation given where Eli Manning is. Quick note on the Zion Williamson injury. Uh, should he play or shut it down in the wake of his injury, which is a day-to-day -day knee sprain that they've still uh, held him out after his shoe exploded in, I should say, against Carolina a couple of weeks ago. Here's my quick opinion. Uh, I'm not sure if I said this or not, but here it is. If he's healthy for the NCAA tournament, especially for the ACC tourney, he should play, and he should play in the big dance. Zion has actually benefited from his year at Duke. Not only has his game improved this year, where he has showcased his ability to handle the ball, be a playmaker, be a defensive monster, his best skill set might be his competitiveness, and he plays hard all the time. Remember, he wasn't the projected number one pick going into this college season. That was R.J. Barrett. He played his way into being the clear number one pick in this year's draft, and no matter how healthy, he will go number one in next year's, or I should say in this upcoming NBA draft, even if he had an injury so catastrophic that he would miss next season. If he missed the entire year, Worst case scenario, he would still be the top pick today. Now, the NCAA is really messed up. There are flaws all over the place, but the exposure that Zion Williamson has got by playing for Duke will benefit him not only on the court, but with potential endorsements. And he loves his teammates, and he loves to play basketball. And as Charles Barkley said, that's what we do. We play basketball. If he's healthy, he should play. And this injury shouldn't be an indictment on the flaws of the NCAA system. And that's a conversation for a whole nother day. 
Now that I got that out of the way, as I teased earlier, we have to come back to uh, how I started off the show, the Lakers, and specifically shedding light on what LeBron James truly is. Now buckle up, everybody, because as Lil Wayne once said, I'm going in. That's right, I'm going in. Now, before I start, I want to just get this out of the way. I will admit that LeBron James is a great, and I repeat, an all-time great basketball player and has been great for 15 years. His longevity is incredible, minus this year, which is year 16. Keep that in mind. He came into the league with insane hype, and not only did he live up to it, but he has exceeded it. He is, by all accounts, a great father, passionate about helping his community, and hasn't had a real public mishap or scandal, which growing up in the social media era is a huge accomplishment. With that said, I can now talk about LeBron James, the basketball player, and here we go. LeBron James is the biggest narcissist, petulant child that pro sports has ever seen. This guy is a next level asshole who completely lacks any Self-awareness. It's shocking. For someone who hasn't had a public scandal, he is shockingly tone deaf. And a part of that is that he's the biggest egomaniac alive. He has been told that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread since he's 15 years old. And now he has gotten to the point where no one can tell him anything, no one can coach him at all, and all he does is surround himself with yes men. Yes men who do whatever it is that LeBron James wants to do. And that doesn't even begin to tell the story of what's been going on between the lines on the court lately. The Lakers are three and seven in their last 10 games. They are now four and a half games behind the eighth seeded San Antonio Spurs for the final playoff spot as we are recording at the moment, which is Monday, the 4th of March. They have losses to the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, and the lowly Phoenix Suns, where LeBron James missed two crucial free throws at the end of that game. They should have lost to the Pelicans again if it weren't for the Anthony Davis minutes restriction situation. These are three of the worst teams in the league. Now, LeBron's raw numbers look fine. I mean, he's averaging a triple-double since he's come back from his injury. But the film is absolutely atrocious. Let's take the game in Memphis where LeBron was 8 for 23 from the field, played absolutely zero defense, none, didn't remotely try on that end of the floor. He had late turnovers in that game too to ice it for the Memphis Grizzlies who are actively trying not to win games. The clip of him not trying on, the clips of him not trying on defense are laughably bad. They were all over Twitter if you didn't have the pleasure of watching the whole game. And this performance, he ha after this performance, he has the gall to call out his teammates for not putting basketball first in their lives. This is after Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, who I've actually crapped on a lot over the year, but credit to him, he's been great as of late. The young guys carried LeBron's ass in that game. Carried him. And then he talks to the media about the young guys not knowing how to win after he sucked and was a no-show on defense. The chutzpah. And the arrogance of this guy is ridiculously astounding. Then let's look at the game against Phoenix this weekend. I mentioned the two missed free throws late. And you know what? LeBron's numbers overall, again, looked fine. 
But like the game in Memphis, he didn't try on defense at all. Like his man scores on him always. He doesn't try and stay in front of anybody or close out. And he shrugs his shoulders and looks around at his teammates like they did something wrong. Like they missed a rotation or an assignment. The clips are all over the internet. Twitter has a field day with them. He also had the clip of him throwing that inbounds pass off the back of the backboard and out of bounds. Like he couldn't give less of a crap about what's going on. It's embarrassing. He walks off the court alone before the final buzzer. He walks off the court alone before the final buzzer sounds in a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. What a damn child. And that's just the on-court stuff. Now let's take it off the court again. After each embarrassing loss, he posts on Instagram another personal accomplishment and pats himself on the back. The posts get roasted in the comments section because it's so incredibly tone deaf. Remember how I said that he told the press that the young guys have to put basketball first and how they need to learn how to win, how you shouldn't have distractions and how he has activated playoff mode? Well, right after he said that the video comes out of him working with rapper 2 Chains on an album, and keep in mind that he set out a game that night for what we call load management. Yeah, that's right, in quotation marks, load management. He's working on rap albums and he's gonna be in Space Jam 2 because he's so, so He's working on rap albums and is going to be in Space Jam 2. But yeah, the young guys can't have any distractions. What an asshole. Now you get away with being this level asshole when you win games. Winning, in effect, cures all. Look at his second stint with Cleveland. They won a lot of games. But the Lakers have sucked since his return from injury. And he's been a major reason why. So let's review what LeBron has done this year for the Lakers. One, he tried to get his whole team traded for Anthony Davis and publicly... Uh, one, he tried to get his whole team traded for Anthony Davis. Did it ridiculously publicly, splitting apart the entire locker room. Two, he actively tried and is still trying to get his coach fired to probably get one of his yes men in there to be the coach next year. Three, he stopped trying at all on defense. Four, he tells the young guys to only focus on basketball while he focuses on a ton of other projects. And it's okay to have other interests other than basketball, but don't be a hypocrite about it in the media, especially when you're playing poorly and you're not winning any games. Now, as I mentioned before, he did a lot of these things in Cleveland the second time around. And not only that, he held the... He held the Cleveland Cavaliers hostage by signing one-in-one -one contracts. It's why Kyrie asked for a trade, which is ironic because Kyrie is turning into a mini version of a LeBron-type asshole in Boston right now, but that's for another time. It got messed because they won a lot of games and went to the finals and he even won a championship, which are all things that he should take and get tremendous credit for. But people want to say he's the greatest to ever play? What a joke. Would Jordan pull shit like this? Never. Would Jordan miss a game for load management at 34 years old? Let me give you an idea of what Jordan did at the age of 34. He played all 82 games, led the league in scoring, and won his sixth title and his sixth finals MVP. LeBron is 34, and he's not doing any of these things this season. Far from it, since the Lakers are going to be under 500 and they're going to miss the playoffs. Bird, Magic Johnson, Tim Duncan, Kobe, Bill Russell, guys like that would never pull this crap.
He's such a joke. He's had a great career, but his ego and arrogance is at a level that we have never seen before, and it's hurting his teams. It hurt the Cleveland Cavaliers, his second stint in Cleveland, and it's killing the Lakers. To call him the GOAT is a farce. And the LeBron James stands continue to make excuses for this guy. It's insane to me. He is such an asshole. It's unbelievable. And now he isn't even the best player in the league anymore. He's not even top five. I can't wait till this Lakers thing craters because if they can't find guys to play with him and... It's not like the Stars have been knocking down the door to play with LeBron lately. Paul George does didn't. Kawhi Leonard reportedly doesn't want to do it. Neither does Kevin Durant. If the Lakers can't swing a deal for Anthony Davis, they are screwed because LeBron has held them and continues to hold them hostage. I hope this whole thing blows up in his smug face. The GOAT? Get the hell out of here with that nonsense. Part of being... An all-time great at that level is being a great leader. You know who's a great leader? Stephen Curry. Steph Curry does his leading behind the scenes. Steph Curry isn't loud and in the media talking about his teammates behind their backs or to the press or subtweeting them on Twitter or posting weird Instagram stuff. You know, Steph Curry leads by actions, but don't get it twisted. His voice is the most important voice in that Golden State organization. And everybody in that organization respects him. They don't have a negative thing to say about Steph Curry. He's humble. He welcomes others. He plays well with others. These are all things that LeBron James can't say right now. So yeah, LeBron James is the greatest to ever do it after this. Not that it should have been a conversation before. But especially now, this conversation needs to be put to rest. And the LeBron stands who continue to defend this guy just need to shut up. Get a clue. Even the guys in the media have kind of turned on him. Colin Cowherd, Brian Windhorst, his personal puppet, have called him out. LeBron James, the greatest player to ever do it. Get out of my face. And with that said, we're going to bring on our guest for tonight's... Um, Tonight's episode, we're going to talk a little college hoops right after this. Okay, so as I uh, teased before, we're going to talk a little college basketball uh, with the NCAA tournament around the corner. You know who it is. I had to bring back everybody's favorite college sports expert, uh, recurring guest, one of my two or three favorite recurring guests, Mr. Jordan Marks. Jordan, it's that time again. It's coming up. Yep, Marks is here. Here we go. So I we exchanged emails about this uh, this show, and we're obviously going to do the uh, once the bracket is released, we're going to do the uh, the bracket preview. But want to talk a little bit of college hoops, and we're going to keep Duke out of this for the most part um, because Duke is obviously the predominant story of the year, given you know the the freshman, mainly Zion Williamson. So let's uh, let's start it here. Um, the latest AP poll. Uh, any surprises? What were your reactions to the latest poll? Yeah, so uh, I don't take much from the, uh, the like the media's rankings of of the teams at this point. I mean, there was like historical precedence that the AP is not really indicative on the final season the results of the seeding for the Big Dance, but but what it does do is it, is it puts 
targets on teams' backs where you could be a top 25 team at this point of the season going into a tough road environment against a team that might be on bubble in or bubble out, uh, a quote-unquote unranked team. Um, and the same can be said if you're a top five or a top 10 AP team. Uh, and that really makes a really challenging game uh, for that team because of that so-so ranking next to them. Uh, with regards to today's um, jumps, a lot of it uh, coming from the last week of play, uh, the biggest jump, uh, not really a surprise, but uh, Virginia Tech uh, went up six spots to uh, top to be a top 15 team coming off. Again, even though without Zion, it's, it's a really, really nice home win against Duke. Um, and then they'll get a, another top 20 game going to Florida State tomorrow night. So that was a nice jump for Virginia Tech. And then you saw LSU jump into the top 10. Um, they, they just took a, they did a really nice road win over Alabama this weekend. And, uh, prior to their win against A&M, they beat Tennessee. And right now LSU very, very quietly is in first place in the SEC with their own desk with destiny in their hands. So if they just went out, they're going to win the regular season SEC title where all the talks around Kentucky and Tennessee, but LSU meanwhile is in that full position. Gotcha. Um, so sticking with the SEC for a second, because uh, this Kentucky team I, I find a little fascinating. Obviously, you have you know the coach, the uh, excuse me, the whole coach uh, Calipari thing. How he sort of kind of really tapped into the idea of the one and done, and now he's kind of been surpassed in that sense in terms of getting the top one and done type guys by uh, Coach Shashevsky at Duke. Um, they got waxed by Duke opening night. I know we spoke about it and how shocked we were about how good the Duke freshmen are and, and could be. But this Kentucky team quietly has rebounded. And I know LSU is is in first place. But this Kentucky team is ranked four, I think, now. So what do you... What do you make of this Kentucky team? Um, they have, you know, Keldon Johnson is a guy who NBA draft boards are a little up and down on. But but in terms of this team and its tournament potential, like what do you see this out of this team? Yeah, uh, Kentucky's playing really good basketball right now. I, this weekend they did just get absolutely pasted by Tennessee in, in Knoxville, but when you look at that kind of game, pretty much every single team in the country, inclusive of Duke, would probably lose that game on the road in Tennessee and Knoxville. Yeah, that's um, not an indicative. That's not an indicative. Yeah, no, no, uh, not at all. And, showing. And compounding, compounding that, they they lost in what my opinion is is probably their best player or one of their best players. Reed Travis didn't even play in that game for a knee injury. So stopping Grant Williams in Tennessee without one of your best bigs is, is real difficult. Um, Kentucky, I mean, they're, they're, they're probably going to finish the season with five losses heading to the SEC. I mean, that's, that's a really impressive regular season. I think what you always think about Kentucky, you think about like an uber-talented young uh, team that can just light up the scoreboards. But I really think this team starts with its defense. Um, P.J. Washington, the aforementioned Reed Travis down low are really tough. Tyler Harrow, Charlton Johnson on the wings are awesome. And then uh, Ashton Hagens, another freshman. Uh, who's been just like an awesome on-ball defender and then really good um, point to set up the O uh, with Quade Green. It, it, it's, it is a really balanced team mixed with 
the younger guys in Higgins and Kelda Johnson. Then you have the experienced players in uh, Reed Travis. So, yeah, I do, I do think this team has a, has a real good shot to make a Final Four run. And they have new, uh, you know, super fan IG model Brittany Renner going to their <laughs> games. Uh, she's extremely popular amongst the players. I can imagine why. <laughs> um, that may be a good thing or a bad thing. We'll find out uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, okay, so is this the year that Kansas doesn't win the Big 12? Because they have been extremely disappointing. Yeah, I mean, what is it, like 12, 13 years in a row? And I, I do think this is the year. I, 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 don't, I don't see them coming out on top. I mean, they, they still have to overcome Texas Tech and Kansas State. Um, they're going to have two games to round out the season. They have to go on the road to a, a, a bubble team that really needs a statement win in Oklahoma, and then they're going to they're going to have another tough out of Baylor, who's a tournament team at home. Um, I, I think ever since Udoka Azubuki went down, they, they, they've been really struggling. And then when they lost Gerald Vick um, when he took his leave of absence to be with his family, that that just put a lot of weight on Diedrich Lawson's back and. Well, Dedrick Lawson's probably been the best player in the Big 12, probably to take home that award. I, I just think it's such a big weight to carry the teams both um, scoring and then defensively, and he's really the, the, the key rebounder on the team. And so while he has a double-double every single night, he's really the only guy doing that. Compounding that, Bill Self's team usually revolves around a senior-laden like front um, backcourt, and this team... Um, is freshman in the backcourt. So they turn the ball over, they play at a really high adjusted pace, and it's not that efficient. So while I think that they go as Diedrich Lawson goes, I do think that this team is probably not more than a Sweet 16 team this year. And they've been shakier at home than they've been in a long time. Which is such an odd thing to say about Lawrence Kansas. Yeah, they. I mean, that building, that venue is... Probably the best home court in all of college sports, um, or I should say in all of college basketball for sure. I don't know about college sports because, you know, college football is a whole nother beast. Uh, and, I, and you know, Alabama at home I don't think has lost in, what, 10 years? But for college basketball, I mean, it's either that or Cameron Indoor or maybe the Carrier Dome when Syracuse is really rolling. But – They've been shaky at home, which is surprising. And maybe it goes to the inexperience at the guard position. Yeah, Clem Grimes and Devon Dotson. I mean, as good as talented as they are and how, how bright of futures I think they will have, right now, it's just turning the ball over too much. And they're really not accounting for it on the offensive end. So I, I do think that plays a huge role into it when you, when you go into a deep, tough Big 12 schedule. So if it's not them, if you had to pick Kansas State or Texas Tech, uh, who would you pick to win the uh, Big 12? Uh, I mean, I, I, I like Texas Tech as, as the better team, um, but I believe that Kansas State, hold, I, I believe, don't quote me, but I believe they hold the tiebreaker. And, um, and I think that their last two games, again, are – against the TCU team on the road, which is a pretty difficult team since they're a tournament team, and they'll get Oklahoma at home. So where I think Texas Tech plays a little more difficult schedule, so uh, uh, that's going to be a tough one. But I think I'm going to go with Kansas State just because they are in that pole position right now, um, and they you know, have a really good guard in Barry Brown. So we'll see. 
Interesting. Real weird stuff not seeing Kansas winning the Big 12. All right, so your Michigan Wolverines were ranked as high as two. Uh, I like their guard play. Uh, just give me your thoughts on their on the state of the Wolverines right now, their tourney odds, and, and where do you think they're going to fall seeding-wise when uh, the bracket is released? Uh, yeah, I mean, Michigan has has remained consistently one of the two or three best defensive teams in the country. Uh, that's, again, as you said, it's led by Xavier Simpson, who is, in my opinion, the best on-ball backcourt defender in the country. Uh, then you add in Charles Matthews and John Teske down low, who have pretty much shut down either the for Charles, the opponent's like best wing, and then John Teske has made life extremely difficult for Big Ten centers, um, whether that's Ethan Happ or Bruno Fernando or Matt Harms or Xavier Tillman. It, it's it, He's made life a living hell for them. Um, so it really starts with that defense fan. That's their consistency. But the problem is this team has no ability to make shots like, like past John Beeline teams. Um, so they can go – one of 13, two of 12 from three and a half. And then they like to grind out these games. And eventually they'll, they'll just punish a team so much on the defensive end that they'll end up winning by eight or nine, similar to like Wisconsin and Virginia teams that you might be familiar with. Right. Um, with that being said, I mean, right now this team is 26 and four, which if you told me we were losing Mo Wagner, Muhammad Abdul Ali Rahman, and then um, and Duncan Robinson, three of our best players last year, and we were going to have four losses heading into the season finale against Michigan State, I would have taken that every day of the week. Um, granted, I don't. this is going to be a difficult matchup on the road at Michigan State, um, and I don't know if Charles Matthews is even going to be playing in this game. So if we could win that game, I could see, you, I could see us as high as a two-seed, regardless of what happens in the Big Ten tournament. If we win that game, win the Big Ten tournament, I think you're looking at a one seed. Uh, if we lose that game and then something funky happens, I think at worst a three seed. So I'm probably going to predict a, a low two, high three, somewhere in that range for Michigan. Now, do you think the um, you know their conference, the overall strength, what would you say uh, give it a grade this year if you had to give the conference a grade? Uh, I mean, I think it's the – I personally think I think it's the toughest conference in college basketball, um, but it's probably the second toughest conference, uh, maybe to the Big 12. Um, but the, the, the conference should get eight teams in, um, but we'll see what happens to Minnesota. Indiana has the, one of the weirdest seasons I've ever seen. I mean, they swept Michigan State, but then they'll go out and – get like waxed by Rutgers. So like it's, they have a funky season. Um, and I don't think they're probably going to make the tournament, but it seems uh, kind of top heavy. Like, you know, Michigan you have your State, teams at the top are really strong, but it doesn't have the depth that say maybe like an ACC has, or even an SEC this year. I, I mean, you have Michigan, Michigan state, uh, Purdue, Maryland, and Wisconsin are all absolute locks. Um, and then, and then you get into, uh, then you get into like Iowa, who's probably going to be in the field. 
and then you have Nebraska, Indiana, and so on, Ohio State. So those are like a couple bubble teams. So you're, you're looking at, but then at the bottom, there's no weak, weak, weak team like, I don't know, you would say like Boston College or right. um, one of the weaker. Miami is not very good, so. So we both have brothers who are currently enrolled in the University of Maryland or who have attended the University of Maryland. Uh, a quick thought on, on the Terps this year. Yeah, so we uh, we finished our season sweep of Maryland yesterday uh, with a nice victory. Bragging rights, um, it's good. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I mean, the Terps are, I think, have the two best front court players uh, combo in the country. I mean, Bruno Fernando, I'm sure you've seen him on NBA mocks and things like that, but he's an absolute mother load to deal with down low. And then they have their five-star freshman in Jalen Smith, who can, I guess you'd call him a unicorn for NBA purposes, but he's not really on that level yet. But yeah, he's a monster who can stretch out and shoot the three at a what 35% clip. So um, they're, they're kind of led by that, but it really, then they have Anthony Cowan at the point guard position who seems to be up and down and shouldering a lot of the load. Um, but I, I really think that, this is a team that has the ability to make the Sweet 16, but they also have the ability to get caught in an upset in the first round due to the fact that um, they really don't have many shot makers outside of the bigs. And when the bigs get in foul trouble, and then they don't dish it out for their three-point shooting, and they can just go on these droughts, and it, it, it could get bad. And I could see a really hungry double-digit team taking them out in the first round, or I could see them making the Sweet 16, so we'll see. It's tough because, really, if we've learned anything from college basketball is veteran guards, you know, really dominate the NCAA tournament. I mean, with with people shooting more threes, it, it, it's really a guard-driven sport more so than ever, and that, from what you're saying, doesn't bode well for Maryland, but who knows. One thing I will say is that... Uh, Kevin Herter, who's uh, in the NBA now, has been a real nice find for the Atlanta Hawks. So shout out, uh, shout out to Maryland Kevin for Herter. producing him. He's he's nice. Um, so if the bracket were released today, uh, Duke's going to get a one seed. So who do you think would be the other three one seeds? If you're playing Joe Lenardi for a second, right? Yeah. So this year is kind of funky. So that every year they strive to get more and more computer, more metrics involved because. It, you know, everybody complains every single year about the bubble, right? What's the, what are they going to do with the bubble? Why are these teams being left out? Why are these teams not being um, put in, et cetera? And if we have all these metrics and all these computers delving into the depth of every single team from day one to the end of the regular season in March, you should be able to use those versus just RPI, SOS and so on. So, right. So with that, I think you're going to, you're going to see a big difference in, uh, in what this they're calling the NET, which is a, a basically a composite of the computer rankings. And you're going to see more Kempom and Torvik and Sagarin, all these rankings that are going to be on the team sheets and those teams are going to get lifted. So a, a true darling of, of these metrics it, is Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga is, a surefire one seed. I there is, they are twenty nine and two on the season, with their only losses being a neutral to Tennessee and 
a road and a, and a, a road loss to North Carolina. So their season's over. They're going to start the West Coast tournament this week. Um, and the fact that they have a player of the year candidate, Brandon Clark, Rui Hachimura, who's probably going to be a lottery pick, and then the best point guard probably of the past decade that Gonzaga's had all-time assisted during Gonzaga, and Josh Perkins. I mean, this is a team that is on par with that 2017 national runner-up uh, Gonzaga team. So I, I absolutely think Gonzaga's a one seed, and deservingly, uh, deservingly so. Beyond that, I think you're looking at you're looking at your pick in the litter of ACC and SEC teams. So if I had to guess right now, I'm probably going to take, again, take the experience of Tennessee and just the way they defend and Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams. I, I really think that they are pr- going to be the favorite in the SEC tournament. What's weird is that if LSU gets that one seed, there's not going to be a Tennessee Kentucky matchup in the final. It's going to be, Tennessee and Kentucky in the semifinal um, at the very latest that we could possibly see that matchup. So they'll get another chance to get one of those top five games. So I do think that Tennessee takes that. And then I I would love to pick Michigan, but that's like a tall ask right now. And I would have picked Houston had they not dropped this game this weekend to UCF. But I'm going to probably take your North Carolina Tar Heels because it's a weird do, team. It is a I weird do, team. I do believe that they're going to win <laughs> um, the home game against Duke. Uh, so if they win that game, I, I really think it's going to be difficult for the, the the selection committee to not put them as a one seed because the way the ACC tournament works is it finishes the night before uh, the selection committee meets. I think at that point they kind of already have made a lot of the decisions. So if you're going to say that they're going to sweep Duke during the regular season um, and then and they've been playing their best basketball as of late and their only losses are to like Michigan, Kentucky, Virginia, Texas and Louisville. Like this is this is a really good basketball team who's been playing excellent basketball since February and March. It's, uh, it's that, pretty again, good. And they've that, been under the radar. Right. It has that mix of experienced players, Luke Mann, Cam Johnson, and then. And your stud freshman in Kobe White. So I, I do think that they'll probably snag uh, that last one seed. But, you know, got to watch out for Virginia. Yeah. And, again, one of those Big Ten teams in Michigan or Michigan State. So um, you mentioned the game uh, this weekend, and it's a monster slate. We got Michigan, Michigan State this weekend. But we've got Duke UNC, which is also always a monster. Um, just quick point on, on the Zion situation. Um, obviously you saw what happened. It's crazy. Um, it's a day-to-day knee sprain. Uh, they're holding him out, uh, for precaution, for good reasons. What do you think he should do? Um, I know, I believe that he wants to play in the ACC tournament and especially in the, uh, the big dance. What do you think he should do? Should he play if healthy or should he shut it down completely? Uh, I mean, my personal opinion is, is that, Anyone who's saying he should shut it down with no knowledge of how healthy he is is, is crazy. If he's not 100%, oh, absolutely don't play. There's too much money online. I get it. But if he's 100%, let the kid play. I mean, he's a, ki- he's a kid in college whose best friends are also lottery picks. I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't want to play on the biggest national stage in front of 
sold-out crowds in NBA and NFL stadiums. I Everyone wants to see him play. I think he he personally wants to play. Um, I, I don't see any reason why, I don't know, all these uh, people on TNT and all your NBA roundtables are telling him to shut it down. Oh, no, hold on one second. Barkley was telling him that he should play. Oh, the opposite. The TNT play. guys were all about him playing. It's it's the NBA nerds who had never picked up a basketball. All these guys who like, you know, have never played before, that are telling him to shut it down because of the money. I mean, I agree with everything that you said, um, and I I said it before in the in the monologue. Zion, like, the problem with this whole thing is that this injury has become like a referendum on how screwed up the NCAA is, right? Absolutely. And and that's just unfortunate because, you know, injuries happen. Like, you play sports. Sometimes things happen. But Zion has benefited greatly from his time at Duke. First of all, the exposure. Um he improved his game. I mean, he showed more in this year in college than he did in high school because he was just so much more physically dominant in high school. Like, he wasn't the preseason number one pick in the NBA draft projected. No. That was R.J. Barrett. Like, he, by going out and balling out and playing hard and dominating, basically sealed it that he's going to be the number one pick. And even if you were to get hurt, like, and knock on wood that this doesn't happen because our New York Knicks potentially may have the number one pick, and there's nothing I want more than Zion Williamson playing in Madison Square Garden. But even if you were to get hurt and miss, like, pull like a Blake Griffin and not be able to play his whole rookie season, he would still go number one from what I've heard. So I I just – I think if he's healthy, he should play. As Charles Barkley said, they play – they're basketball players. They play basketball. That's what they do, right? At a certain- uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely. I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And and let me ask you a question. Even even if he was not playing in games, could he potentially tweak an ankle or something in in just a tough practice? Like anything could happen. You can get hit by a bus crossing a street. I mean, at a certain point, you just have to take the bubble wrap off and and do what you love to do. Exactly, and, and and I don't like the people who are making this akin to football because football is completely different. Correct. If a player doesn't want to play in the the Music City Bowl because he's getting ready for the NFL draft, that's significantly different than this. Than playing in the NCAA tournament for college basketball where literally the entire country is watching and you get more exposure that will benefit him in endorsements, not just on the court. Yeah, College football and college basketball are completely different. This shouldn't be a referendum on all the issues with the NCAA. But if Zion's healthy to play, he should play. And I hope that Coach K puts him in for Wake Forest tomorrow night. See, I doubt that he's going to play the rest of the regular season. I do expect him to play if he's good to go in the ACC tourney. And then in the uh, in the uh, big dance, yeah. that's what I expect. Yeah, I can see that. All right. Well, Jordan, I've taken up a lot of your time. It's getting a little late. Um, I uh, look forward to chatting with you once the bracket is um, is released. We're going to do our preview show like we always do. Always insightful. It's around that time of year where we're getting excited. Can't wait to see what unfolds, man. Oh, baby. All right. Take care, Aaron. 
All right, that wraps it up. Episode 43 for the love of the game. I tried to get uh, one of my Laker fan recurring guests on uh, last minute. That didn't happen to talk about the state of the Lakers. We'll have to get him on another time. But again, that's this latest installment for the love of the game. Take us out, DMX. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube